Facebook, Twitter, 24-7 News, talk radio, citizen journalism, fake news, real news. The audience is drowning in an overwhelming overload of information. Clearly a guidepost is needed to identify what is trustworthy and a reliable source of both news and information. The Delaware Humanities Podcast, A Matter of Facts, will delve into this topic. I'm Nancy Karabjanian. The A Matter of Facts podcast is brought to you by Delaware Humanities, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Its mission is to engage, educate, and inspire all Delawareans through cultural programming. We thank the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for its generous support of this initiative and the Pulitzer Prizes for its partnership. A Matter of Facts is produced by Delaware Public Media, Delaware's source for NPR News. Now we join our A Matter of Facts podcast host, Nancy Karabjanian. Paramount to Delaware Humanities is to craft programs to help the people of our state gain a deeper understanding of human identity, intellectual achievement, diverse cultures, and our shared heritage, and to also enhance our understanding of who we are, where we've been, and where we are going. Part of where we are going in Delaware and in our nation is right into a brick wall of misinformation and deep divides. Because of that, the Federation of State Humanities Councils launched an initiative to explore democracy and the informed citizen, a national grant program that examines what it means to be an informed citizen in today's society. Hmm. At the helm of Delaware Humanities, and here to talk about the significance of this initiative, is Delaware Humanities Executive Director Michelle Anstein. Welcome. Thank you. You know, at first, let's let's talk about humanities because it seems that to many, the humanities are considered disposable. Help me understand the importance of the humanities. Well, I um, I think that they're really integral to um, who we are as human beings. So it's how we um, sort of find and filter information about what it means to be human. So what could be more basic to our needs as humans as to understanding ourselves and understanding others. For people to think it can be disposable, they have to have a misunderstanding of the value and what it actually, the humanities can contribute. What are some of those misconceptions? Well, I, you know, I think that, um, first of all, people don't understand what the humanities are. Um, and then when, um, when someone says, oh, it's history, it's literature, it's philosophy, you know, it really doesn't speak to the general public. So um, I think that the first thing to do is to help people understand that um, it is something that's very basic, um, a very basic human need um, to know a little bit about one another and to try to find ways to express um, that knowledge. And that's all what makes up the humanities. Um, so I think that while people feel that, um, you know, the humanities just don't mean much, don't apply to them, um, it is really something that is the most basic of needs. Is that what brought you to Delaware Humanities? You're recently in place as executive director. So was that the draw? Um, I think to um, a certain extent, I had spent um, a couple of decades at Delaware Historical Society um, working in several different um, uh, different positions there. Um, and so history was my initial training, which of course is um, a humanities field. 
Um, and I think I began to realize with the work that I was doing, directing um, Historic House for the Historical Society and trying to understand its background and how it was relevant to the community today, I realized I was drawing on a lot of different humanities disciplines. Um, and so my um, my parameters for, um, for really gaining information broadened, um, and it seemed natural to make a jump like this um, to Delaware Humanities after that. Well, tell me about the National Endowment for the Humanities and where it fits into the efforts right here at the state level. You know, I found it enlightening in looking up some things that the national website says, the term humanities is often widened to include almost any topic that affects the thinking lives of people. That's broad and specific all at the same time. So expand on that for me and tell me how Delaware takes on such a challenge. Well, I think that, you know, what we often say when we're talking to others um, and to people who are interested in um, filling out a grant application, because we do offer grants, is that, um, you know, we are the interpretive um, part of things. So we help um, people to understand, you know, again, what it is to be human. And I think that what when it comes to lots of other subjects, um, that interpretation is applicable. Mm -hmm. So I think that really, we can find humanities content in a wide range of activities, um, exhibits, programs, that sort of thing, because we are providing that interpretation of, you know, different disciplines. Um, so I think that, here um, in Delaware, it's interesting, um, the, um, the Delaware Humanities is the um, state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. And, um, you know, delving a little bit into its history, because that's what, um, you know, what feels normal to me to understand the context in which we work, um, the National Endowment for the Humanities was created um, in 1965, um, and initially it was an organization that was meant for, um, you know, learned professionals, um, humanities practitioners who were um, academics. And it was set up um, like another foundation, the National Science Foundation, um, for those academics to be able to do their own forms of research. What the state um, councils did once they were introduced about five or so years, years later is that they really started to bring the humanities to the public. So that's the important part that we feel is Delaware Humanities, along with all of the other state and territorial humanities councils, is really taking those programs outside of the academy and making them um, widely applicable to the lives of, of the people in our state. It's interesting because when you look at where the grants go from your organization, they do go to places that hit directly to where people live and think. <laughs> uh, I know you're not here for very long, so you're still in your honeymoon period, I guess. <laughs> but is there a particular aspect of the granting program that you really respond to that you feel makes the difference? Well, I have to say that, um, first of all, knowing that, that the organization was a granting organization, um, that was a significant um, part of my decision to, um, to come to Delaware Humanities. Um, you know, having worked for an organization that was often asking for grants, um, it gave me 
an opportunity to um, be on the other side and to give back um, in some ways for, for what I had received um, being a recipient of grants. But um, I think that the fact that we really do try to seek out organizations that are um, non-traditional, um, that are doing um, sometimes cutting-edge work, um, that we really are looking for um, new groups to um, breathe, help to breathe life into their, their aspirations um, and really kind of um, help them to um, understand all of the um, different steps of filling out grant proposals so that they could not only apply for our grants, but they can apply for other grants. I guess there's never uh, an opportunity where a grant is awarded where somebody goes, oh boy. I mean, it's a <laughs> celebration to get that seed funding for whatever the next initiative would be. Is this yes. a model that's duplicated around other states as well as effectively, or is Delaware, due to our unique size, <laughs> uh, make it a little bit easier? It's a good question. Um, I think that we do have, um, you know, some some uh, advantage in that Delaware is a pretty small state, and I think as everybody who does business in Delaware knows, um, you know, you're able to more easily be in touch um, with people that you wouldn't, you know, normally come into contact with. Um, so it's, you know, three degrees of separation <laughs> um, between people in Delaware. So I think that it it is something that really um, makes me feel that the grant program um, is and should be a part of what we do for, you know, for um, the future as well. Um, and it's not something that all states councils do. So um, I think largely the formula when the state councils came to be was to regrant money from the federal government within their states. Um, but it's changed for some over time, and they don't see the value in their context of doing this grant work. Instead, they focus on programs that they're doing as a council. But I think for Delaware, we need to do a little bit of both. I agree. So let's talk about the Democracy and the Informed Citizen Initiative, because that seems to be at the core of the purpose, that the humanities, especially for where we are right now as a society, can be a key to bridging divides. It's not the first one that people would think of, but it is a key. Agreed. And I think that, um, you know, we have a wonderful opportunity. I, um, I was looking through recently um, our founding legislation from 1965 and what led, to the led up to the founding of the um, NEH, um, the National Endowment, Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts, um, were studies to really understand, um, you know, what role these um, organizations could play in the lives of um, both academics and the general public. Um, and I think that the idea of democracy was something that was embedded um, from the very beginning, that people thought that this was an application of the humanities, um, and that through greater understanding of each other, of ourselves, that this was something that led to an informed citizenry, um, and that was what democracy was all about. So it's a, it's a difficult direction to tackle. So how will you know that you've made progress in this initiative? Well, I think we always have to be in touch with our partners. So I think that, um, as I said, not only are we um, doing our own programs, we have um, grant-funded programs where others are working um, on the same types of um, issues as we are. And I think that really um, helping people to um, 
I guess, to, to really understand um, how to get at the important information that they need in order to participate as a citizen today is really one of the top goals for a lot of different organizations. So I think that we both um, do our own sorts of evaluations, um, but we also work with other groups that are always evaluating. And it could be as simple as seeing how many people are getting out to the polls. That's true. You know, for, as far as a matter of facts is concerned, I found Joan Del Fotor's information on how we take in and accept information. It was enlightening, but also a little bit frightening, mm -hmm. since uh, she, she explained to me society's relationship with facts and the truth has always been a bit sketchy. She said it's our nature to just desperately want to believe something regardless of the facts that are presented to us. And then there was Stephen Cole's conversation and exploring whether journalism can even survive. Of course, for me as a journalist, that's a red alarm. That's that's a, a all, all hands on deck kind of a moment. But as we take a look at those two uh, bits of information and the full scope mm -hmm. of a matter of facts, where do you think the actual individual not the organizations, will come through at the other end of this? Will they be better prepared, or are we just overwhelmed? Well, I think I think the world in which we live now is overwhelming. And certainly um, social media, it has its, you know, positive and negative aspects. And I think that... Um, you know, this is where really humanities um, education um, comes to play, because I think if you don't have a strong basis in the humanities and in understanding, you know, how to discern, and it's, let's face it, it's difficult for experts sometimes to discern the, shall we say, truth of the matter, um, or really to get at, you know, the heart of what an issue is. Um, and especially with, with lots of things floating around and being repeated um, mm -hmm. without being verified in this day and age. So I think it just really, um, it's, it's up to us to make sure, as organizations, to make sure that um, we're providing ways for people to, um, to discern, you know, for themselves. Has it had an impact on you? I, Joan did a couple quizzes with me to kind of track my beliefs down. It, it was enlightening to me, like, oh, boy, you know, I think I do just trust in certain bits of information without, even as a journalist, without going through all of the steps to make sure. Has has this changed for you? I, I would say yes, actually. I mean, I'm, I'm like you said, you're trained um, as a journalist. I was trained as a historian. So we both have, you know, research at the heart of the matter of what we do. But I think it's very easy to, especially when things are being shared by people you know and you trust, um, who might be friends, who maybe didn't do the research that they should have done. I think it becomes very scary and very dangerous um, to um, to perpetuate. So I, I do find myself, um, you know, I've listened closely to each podcast, um, and I have sort of checked myself because of some of the things that were mentioned. So I think it, it is just a constant learning pro process for us all. I think, too, as a society, we've always liked the messy you know, if we didn't like the messy, there would never have been a Jerry Springer show. <laughs> God true. help us all. But, you know, we tend to really like those things that are part of a battle. And perhaps that that's just part of humankind. I'm not sure. Well, and, and that's a good question. I mean, I think that, um, yes, there is that part of human beings that, you know, we want to slow down when we see an accident. Um, 
it's just, it's the sensationalism, you know, is something that, that people do seem to naturally be drawn to. But I do have faith that, um, you know, the, the public is really um, at a point where it might be looking past um, the sensationalism and really wanting to get at what, what the heart of the matter is. It was interesting when I was taken through my own set of beliefs and my own fact-checking for just even basic things like mm-hmm. people's identities, et cetera. It occurred to me that, um, you know, the fault is on, on, on us as individuals. And it's as though we, we just want to go through and believe what we want so that it doesn't disrupt the f- motion that we think that we have. Yet when it comes down to societal leadership, to the norms that we have to believe in, it, it feels a little uh, dangerous to just allow myself or anybody else to move forward with what they think they know, when in reality, we may not really know. Well, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, something that we, we, I think, are very, as a society, very quick to jump to assumptions um, and then maybe not want to, um, you know, dig for the, the actual um, the, um, information that backs up those assumptions. So I think that, that um, it puts us, um, you know, in a, in a, a precarious place, well, and to as say a the historian, very least. that had to be really difficult because, you know, I'm part Irish, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. So we have parts of our family lore that in doing family history, we've learned we're just not accurate at all. And yeah, I I think that that is something that we often find out when we, um, you brought up um, being a historian, I think that definitely working with um, objects in a museum setting, often objects come to an organization imbued with a certain story that might have a kernel of reality, but has, you know, a lot of embellishment in it too. And, and that is something, again, I think it's, it's part of who, who we are as humans that we want to, we like a good story. We want to tell a good story. Um, and so I think that we sometimes can get lost in that, but we have to come back. We have to be, um, just fight that urge and come back to what, what the, truth is and what we know and what we can document. For the solid information that people need to have just to go about their um, their, their lives in a community, you mm-hmm. know, what's happening with your taxes, your government, etc. We all have to tap into news sources. What are, you, what are your favorite news sources? Who are your go-tos? Uh, well, I have to say that um, I am a Delawarean, so Delaware Public Media, um, definitely. And um, when, especially when I'm looking for local news, and sometimes um, local the local story can be difficult to find um, these days. More but and more so. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I also am a big fan of just national public radio in general while I'm in the car, on my commute. Um, and also the New York Times. Um, those are probably the, the top three. Any off the um, top grid, you know, for me, I'm, I'm addicted to several podcasts, and uh, including this one. <laughs> but uh, there are those that are my, my go-tos that uh, just for anything, for information about cinema, for information about books, for information about everyday news like the New York Times, The Daily. Do you have mm-hmm. anything like that? I do. And, you know, it's, it's a range of um, uh, podcasts that I listen to. So um, one of my favorite as of late, which I think I'm a latecomer to this, is um, Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell's Revision 
Indigenous history. So I think um, he, he has a very um, captivating way of telling a story. So I think that, um, you know, it goes to that, like we were talking about before, um, that urge as human beings to know the know the story. I can see why you would like that one, especially <laughs> as a historian. So beyond news sources, can you describe for me, and, and I guess this is my dystopian nature, what you think our society would be like if the humanities were erased? Well, um, a very desolate place. So I think that um, essentially we wouldn't have the context um, as human beings for what was going on around us, and we wouldn't be able to connect with one another um, in a way that, um, you know, that, that allowed us to um, just function as in a, in a very basic way as human beings. Our identities, um, I think, would be would be gone. Um, so I think, you know, for me, the humanities are that real foundation um, work that helps to build us as people. And so I just can't imagine, you know, a life without, um, without the humanities to bolster us and to bring understanding to what we're encountering. It's innate for people to want knowledge, right? I think so. I hope so. And do people find that the programs that are being sponsored by Delaware Humanities, beyond the granting program, are almost like a, a virtual library or a font of expanded knowledge? Because we're not assuming everyone's coming to anything without knowledge, but it, it, it's the point of expansion. Agreed. Um, I think it really is taking a topic that, um, you know, seems um, like something would be interesting to the public or something that's been in the news lately um, and really trying to find that point of connection. Um, and then once people are, are at our venue, really um, jumping, jumping off from there and seeing how we can enrich the lives and answer the questions that people have. How do you make the fight then with those that hold the purse strings? I know that some of the granting funds that come to the individual states is is from non-governmental agencies, mm -hmm. but some of the money has to be, you know, federal funds, and that's always the first thing everybody screams should be cut. Um, so how do you fight? How do you build the case to say we can't have that frightening society without this. Well, I think, um, you know, it's interesting when you're thinking about doing that, that form of advocacy work. Um, you do have to come at it from many different ways. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, um, you know, for us, it's instrumental um, to look at the areas throughout the state that our programs are affecting and to talk a little bit about how, um, you know, the, the individual programs are really making a difference to different populations within the those particular places. Um, but I think it, it also always has to be, you know, a conversation about what we um, are giving back in returns of um, an investment. So not only are we investing in the people and in their knowledge base, but we're also putting, um, you know, an investment into our community because with this growth of knowledge, with um, the resources we're able to um, provide, then we are helping to benefit um, financially our community as well. Are you in competition, parallel, working with, trying to keep up with technology and how technology is changing everything in our lives? Well, I think, you know, the question for me always is how quickly 
um, is tech, the pace of technology moving on. Um, so I think it's it's here. It's here to stay. We need to um, you know have some sort of um, relationship with it. But I think that um, only as it serves what we're trying to do. Um, so I think that there are ways to to work into that front, and we'll be looking at different opportunities to come, um, because I do think that technology can help us to serve our um, our public a little bit better, even in a small state like Delaware. But we don't want to get you know get too crazy and <laughs> um, and basically um, you know just embrace without thinking through what our need is. Well, it's it's so much of the community you know, as opposed to the individual exposure uh, that brings real value when you see the humanities impact somebody's life. It's about their shared experience as opposed to your individual reality. And so much right now with technology is individual reality. And I think that's part of where we have to build a bridge for understanding. Mm-hmm. To underscore the value, you know, if a Delawarean wants to get more information, if they want to become engaged, if they want to become involved, if they want to advocate, where do they get that information? Well, I think there are a variety of different resources at their fingertips. Um, so you can definitely look at our website, uh, dehumanities.org. Um, we have lots of good information there as well as resources. Um, so we do have um, lectures that we've taped, such as our um, Steve Call lecture in the um, in the fall, Pulitzer Prize winner and dean of the Columbia um, uh, Journalism School, who came to talk with us about um, uh, journalism in the f- quote-unquote fake news era. Um, but also looking at the NEH, um, our parent organization, neh.gov. Lots of great information there. And all of the state councils and territorial councils are also part of an organization called the Federation for State Humanities Councils. Um, And I'm not sure of the um, the, um, uh, URL for that website, but if you Google state humanities councils... Using technology. Absolutely. (laughs) See, there is a use for it. Um, but you will be able to um, pull that up. And especially when it comes to advocacy, this is our group that really um, helps us to coordinate our advocacy efforts. There are lots of good resources on their website. Thank you so much. Driving Delaware Humanities on a continued course for success. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you for all that you've done um, with the entire podcast series. We're so pleased. That was Delaware Humanities Executive Director Michelle Anstein joining host Nancy Karabjanian for this final edition of the A Matter of Facts podcast. The A Matter of Facts podcast is brought to you by Delaware Humanities, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Its mission is to engage, educate, and inspire all Delawareans through cultural programming. We thank the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for its generous support of this initiative and the Pulitzer Prizes for its partnership. A Matter of Facts is produced by Delaware Public Media, Delaware's source for NPR News.